you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Daniel. Uh, last week we looked at Daniel's second vision, and in that vision we we saw a, a Daniel predicted, or or the, in the vision it was predicted that there would come a leader on the world. He would be come out of the four Greek generals, the four Greek kingdoms, and uh, he would come against the other kingdoms. And he was a stronger horn, and so he would he would take power uh, in uh, much of uh, the civilized world at that time, and especially in the area of Palestine. And he would come into uh, Judea, and he would demand that temple, the temple worship end, that the Jews were you know, long, no longer to practice their religion, that they were Greeks, they were under Greek rule, and they were to live like Greeks. And so he, he uh, went into the temple and tore down the altar, and he set up an altar to Zeus. And then he uh, offered a pig on that altar. And that's what's known as the abomination of desolations. It took place somewhere around 160 B.C. Uh, by this man, Antiochus Epiphanes, the, the leader of, of the Grecian Empire at that time. Now, I don't know if you watch the news today, and this is what's amazing to me, but if you watch the news, did you, I don't know if you saw the news, uh, but anyway, they discovered this week in Israel the citadel of Antiochus Epiphanes. Just this very week, just after we got through study and make, through that study on that prophecy. And, and in the citadel, they found... Uh, all sorts of artifacts. They found coins with his trident on the coins. They found weapons and uh, various items that identified it as the rule of Antiochus Epiphanes. And the location of this citadel was right next to the temple. So you can see how Antiochus Epiphanes came into the city. He, he wanted to worship his God, and so he changed the temple to the temple of Zeus. And then he committed the abomination of desolations, which is a pre-runner of what the Antichrist is going to do uh, in the Great Tribulation. He's going to come to the temple and declare himself to be God, and he's going to profane the temple, just as Antiochus Epiphanes did. But, but it's just amazing to me that Daniel could have predicted this some 200 years before it happened, and then some 2200 year, years after it happens, we find archaeological evidence that Antiochus Epiphanes actually did come into Jerusalem and actually did set up uh, a citadel there in Jerusalem and did commit this abomination of desolations. Now, as we come to chapter 9, uh, we're going to get Daniel's third vision. And uh, we're going to get the interpretation. We won't get to that tonight, but we're going to get the interpretation. A lot of theologians consider this one of the greatest prophecies, if not the greatest prophecy in the entire Bible. Because it really lays out God's program, his entire program for the Messiah. In fact, it actually predicts the day the Messiah will come into Jerusalem on, on, uh, uh, on Palm Sunday. And so, uh, I mean, it, it's an absolutely amazing prophecy. And we're going to be looking at that next week. But we're going to set it up uh, with the introduction. And so let's go to chapter 9. And let's pick up in verse, verses 1 and verse number 2. Pick up there with me in chapter 9 of Daniel. It says, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of Chaldeans. Now, you remember Darius. He was the king 
who took over when, when Belshazzar and Babylon was defeated by the Medes and the Persians. And he's the one who uh, was ruling when Daniel went into the lion's den. So we're going back a little bit in time here. It says, in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, the lineage of the Medes who was made king over the realm of Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. And what he, he understood what he was going to do some 70 years after the desolation of Jerusalem. Now, Sunday, if you remember, we went back and looked for a minute at Jeremiah chapter 42. And we saw that story of how Jeremiah, the, the, the remnant that was left in Jerusalem, came to Jeremiah and they, wanted, they were afraid that, that Nebuchadnezzar was going to come after them because Gedaliah, the puppet king, had been assassinated. And so they asked Jeremiah if they could go down to Egypt. Well, Jeremiah told them, you can't go down to Egypt. If you go down to Egypt, you're going to die. Well, guess what they did? They disobeyed God and they went down to Egypt and they took Jeremiah with them. And tradition says they killed Jeremiah down there. Some say that uh, he just perished with the rest of uh, the rest of the Israelites that, that disobeyed God and went down to, to uh, Egypt. And poor Jeremiah, he didn't want to go to Egypt. He was forced to go to Egypt, but he died down there. And he was buried in an unknown grave. Nobody knows where he was buried. Now, here he is buried in this unknown grave. But before he's buried, he somehow got his prophecy back to the captives in Babylon. And we know from chapter 29, and we'll look at that here in a minute, that he wrote a letter to the captives in Babylon. Not only did he write the entire prophecy, but he wrote a letter specifically to the captives in Babylon. And, uh, and somehow, Daniel either gets a hold of the original or he gets a hold of a copy. It's just amazing to me how God can, can ordain his word in such a way that, hey, his word will never perish. Uh, his word is eternal. And they can try to bury the prophet, but they can't bury his word. And so... Uh, anyway, he, he, he uh, got this to Daniel, and Daniel's reading Jeremiah, and there's a prophecy there that catches his eye. It's over in Jeremiah chapter 29, so uh, go over to Jeremiah, back towards the Psalms, and go to verse tw uh, chapter 29, and this is a passage that we're all familiar with because I, I think on every graduation card I ever got, uh, part of Jeremiah is there. You know, I know my plans for you. They're good and not evil. You know, so it makes a great graduation card. Uh, makes a great encouragement when somebody's moving on to another stage in their life. But this was a letter written, if you look at the first part of 29, we won't go there. But it was a letter written to the captives, specifically to the captives in Babylon. But listen to what it says, picking up in verse number four. And this is what, just you picture yourself, and here's Daniel. And he's reading this letter. And he's, been, and, and he's been there for a long time now. He went to Babylon when he was about 10 years old. And now he's in his 80s. And so he's reading this letter in his 80s. And listen to what he reads. He reads it just as we read it. Except it was in Hebrew. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the Lord God of Israel, 
to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and dwell in them, plant gardens and eat their fruit. I'm going to bless you. Just because I've sent you into captivity doesn't mean I've forsaken you. That's a lesson we all need to learn. Just because God puts us in difficult times doesn't mean that the Lord has forsaken us. No, on the contrary, he's right there with us. And, and that's, what, that's what he's telling them here. So take wives, beget sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons and your daughters to husbands, so that they may bear sons and daughters, that you may be increased there and not diminished. I want you to grow as a nation. I want you to grow spiritually, I want you to grow materially, and I want you to grow in your, in, 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 in your population. And seek the peace of the city where I've caused you to be carried away captive. And pray for the Lord for that city. You know, that's a great lesson. You know, if we don't like our city, that's on us as a, as a church. If we don't like our nation, that's on us. We need to pray for our city and for our nation. And, and for its peace. And you, then you'll have peace. You don't like what's going on in America? Pray for peace in America. Pray for God's rule in America. And you'll have peace. And isn't that what happened? Isn't it amazing how Daniel was placed in the position he was in? And he moved the hearts of these, these great leaders and to, where, to where Israel had favor with them. For the, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners, your false prophets and your diviners who are in your midst, deceive you. Nor listen to your dreams which you which you cause to be dreamed. In other words, you're not leaving here. Don't dream about going back. Not yet. For they prophesy falsely to you in, in my name. I have, I have not sent them. Man, that's a, there's a lot of false prophets out there, says the Lord. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years. Now Daniel's reading this. Uh-oh. After 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good toward you and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward, here's the graduation card. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. And that really is true for all of us if we're children of God. No matter how bad the situation is, God's plan for you is a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you. And Daniel's listening, reading this. The 70 years have passed. He says, hey, you'll call, and you'll call on me and pray to me and I'm going to listen to you. And Daniel's reading this and he says, man, I, I'm going to pray. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Here's a guy's already in touch with the Lord, so he's going to have powerful prayers. And I will be found by, you, found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back to your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I've driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you to the place from which I caused you to be carried away captive now going back to Daniel Daniel had gone into captivity around 605 BC in the first captivity the temple had been destroyed around 586 BC now Daniel's now in his 80s and those 70 years have passed since his captivity the seven year, 70 years haven't passed since the temple was destroyed so he wasn't sure which 70 years it was or when the 70 years started so he didn't know for sure but he knew it was close I mean he didn't know if it was it, 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 it started at the first deportation or the second deportation or the third deportation when the temple was destroyed but hey he says man it's getting close 70 years in my life have passed and he went into captivity when he was 10 years old 
So uh, he begins to pray. Now, I don't think he had any intention of going back to Israel himself. I mean, he had roots planted in Babylon. He was an older man. He was, felt, probably felt he was too old to, to even travel that far. And, and, and he had ties to Babylon, and, but, and, but he still prayed. He still prayed because he longed for his people, for them to return. And so he prayed. Now, what a prayer he makes. You're gonna be, we're going to be reading this prayer in just a minute. I mean, here's Daniel. He's like first in command in, in, at this particular time. Darius has made him chief over all the wise men. He's like the premier of Babylon, or really the Medan, that, the Medan, Mede part of the Persian Empire. And, and so uh, he, he's got all sorts of power. He's got all sorts of connections. And a lot of people, they would have read that prophecy in Jeremiah 29, and they would have immediately tried to use those connections to make it happen. But Daniel wasn't that kind of man. Now, Daniel doesn't do that at all. What he does, he begins to pray. And he begins to pray for the return of the captives to the land. You know, there's a, there's a really good lesson there for all of us. I, I think a lot of us are interested in Daniel because we get excited when we we study prophecy. I mean, it can't help but excite you if you're a born-again believer. It can't help but excite you when you think of the fact that we're living in the last days. A lot of the days that Daniel, a lot of the visions that Daniel has speaks of our very days. And that should excite us. But it's got to do more than excite us. I mean, Daniel would say, wow, that's great. Man, maybe the return's going to happen any day. Man, I'm excited about that. And then went about his work. No, he, he wanted to do something about it. So he began to pray. And that's what we need to do. Hey, if you get excited about prophecy, man, it should excite you enough that it should move you to prayer. It should move you. I mean, if, if we're studying the scriptures and all of a sudden we look and say, man, Jesus could be here at any moment, then what should we be praying for? Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Lord, bring America, save as many people in, in my neighborhood and in my city and in this country as you can before you do return. It should, it should move us to prayer just like it did Daniel. I and mean, Daniel prayed. Yeah, I love that song by the Stanley brothers, Daniel prayed. Uh, uh, what a great song. But he, he was a praying man. All right, verse number three in chapter number nine. Verse number three says, Then I set my face toward the Lord to make request by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. He wasn't kidding around. I mean, he was serious about this prayer. It wasn't just a passing prayer that he made on a Wednesday night. It was something he was very serious about. You remember back in chapter number six, uh, when, when we're told how Daniel went up to, his, up to the upper room of his home and he opened the windows toward Jerusalem and he prayed three times a day in the morning and, the, and at noon and, and in the evening. Why did he open his windows towards Jerusalem? Well, this is the reason why. I mean, that whole story was in the reign of Darius and this is what he's doing. He's praying for the return of the Israelites back to their homeland and the restoration of the, of the temple. And, and he was serious about it. So he fasted in sackcloth and ashes. You know, Daniel at this point could have said, when he read that prophecy, he could have said, you know what? God is going to do what he's going to do anyway. 
And he's going to do it when he's going to do it anyway. That's a very dangerous track to get on if you're a believer. I see people that almost give up and they say, you know what? God's going to do what he's going to do anyway. He's going to do it when he's going to do it anyway. And I can't change it. So, so I'm not going to pray about it. If that's the way you see things, you don't really understand prayer. You don't understand prayer at all because God moves when we pray. God doesn't move if we don't pray. Now, God is going to do what he's going to do. His will is going to be done and he's going to do it when he wants to. But he's going to do it in answer to our prayers. You know, you can't be a born again believer right now and not believe that Jesus is coming again. God clearly promises that. And we look through these prophecies and we see that we're living in the very day that he's going to be coming. And somebody might say it. Somebody, a good thing mine went off last week. You, you, gotta, you get a break. Uh, it, it might, it's easy to say, well, Christ is going to come when the Father chooses for Christ to come. When Christ is ready to come, that's when he's going to come. And so why should I pray about it? Well, he's going to come in answer to prayer. That's why we pray about it. Sure, it's going to be when he's ready to come. And sure, it's going to be the day and hour when he's appointed uh, for his return. But he's going to be an answer to his prayer when he does come. That's the paradox of prayer. I mean, God's going to do what he's going to do when he's going to do it, but he works in answer to prayer. God told the Israelites that the Babylonian captivity was going to last 70 years. But it didn't end until men like Daniel fervently prayed for it to end. You see the balance there, the paradox there? Now, let's pick up in verse number four, and we get this beautiful prayer. You know, I've been working on this this week, and, and I've been moved to pray this very prayer myself for our nation. And it's such a it's such a, a excellent model of how we're to pray for our nation. Look look at what he says. Picking up in verse number four, he says, "And I prayed to the Lord." my God and made confession and said O Lord great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments we have sinned and committed iniquity we have done wickedly and rebelled even by departing from your precepts and your judgments neither have we heeded your servants the prophets who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes and our fathers and all the people of the land O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us shame of face, as it is this day, to the man of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, those near and those far off and all the countries to which you have driven them because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. O Lord, to us belongs shame of faith, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned. Against you. You catch those pronouns in his prayer? You catch them? He says, We have sinned. Look at this. We have done wickedly. We have not heeded the prophets. To us belongs shame because we have sinned against you. Now, Daniel was a young boy, no doubt, when the, when the Jews were sentenced to the Babylonian captivity. 
So he had little time, if any, to participate in the sins of Israel that caused them to go into captivity. In fact, the main sin that caused them to go into captivity was their idolatry. And I don't think Daniel was ever an idolater. I mean, he loved the Lord from the age. I mean, apparently his parents weren't either because, because they taught him to love the Lord at a very early age. But he still sees himself as a sinner. He still sees himself as one of the ones who caused them to go into captivity. Because he understood that God hates sin of any kind. And the wages of sin is death. And he understood that we're all guilty before God. You know, there's a lot of us that blame Adam and Eve for the situation we're in. Vance Hevner used to say, they ate us out of house and home. Uh, he's exactly right. But in reality, if any of us had been put in the situation that Adam and Eve were put in and we were given enough time, we would have done the same thing they did over time because we, we, we're, we're human beings. Even though we had that choice, and even though we were filled with the Holy Spirit of God, at some point we would, have, we would have probably disobeyed too. I know we would have. You know, I think sometimes I know in my own life or in my own situation, I'm guilty of blaming others for the situation our country's in. That's, a, that's not a good thing to do. That's not what Daniel did. I mean, it's real easy to, to, to blame the Methodists for the situation we're in. Or the Democrats. Or the homosexuals. And, that, you know, I hear the homosexuals are destroying our nation. No, the homosexuals aren't destroying our nation. We're part of the problem ourselves. We're, we're, we're the, probably, in God's eyes, the main problem. Because we're the ones who have slid so far back that, that we're starting to see these curses on America. And so when we pray for our nation, then we need to remember who we are. That we're sinners too. And that we all deserve judgment. And that's what Daniel did. He recognized that he, in the sight of God, as great of a man. I mean, Daniel was a great man. You don't hear one word in Scripture about Daniel falling into sin. I mean, he was probably one of the most righteous men who ever walked this earth. But he still was a sinner, and he still understood he was a sinner. He understood what Job didn't understand until the end of his life, that woe is me. And he repented in dust and ashes when he saw the Lord in the Lord's sight. He was a sinner too. Then, going with me to verse number 9, it says, To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against Him. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you're merciful. Thank you that you're forgiving God. Or you know what? If He wasn't, if He was just a God, a just God, then there wouldn't be any hope for any of us. Because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There wouldn't be any hope of redemption. Not at all, but, but he is a God. To him belong mercy and forgiveness. Though we, again that pronoun, we have rebelled against him. Going to verse number 10, he says, We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. Yes, all Israel, all Israel, every single one of us, has transgressed against your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. 
Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, has been poured out on us because we have sinned against the Lord. You remember in Deuteronomy, Moses predicted the Babylonian captivity. He says, look, you turn from the Lord and you fail to keep his commandments and you fall into idolatry and you're going to go into captivity. It's going to be a brutal captivity. And, and, and just as Moses warned it, it, it happened. Verse number 12, and he has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our judges who judged us by bringing upon us a great disaster. For under the whole heaven, such has never been done that was done to Jerusalem. The city, the city of peace, the city of God, the temple of God. No city had ever had that privilege on earth. No city had ever been, ever, ever been lifted up so high in the history of mankind. And then all of a sudden, it was destroyed because of the sin of Israel. And you know, that tells me God doesn't wink at sin. I mean, God doesn't make empty threats. When he gives a warning, he's serious. And all of heaven and earth saw how serious he was when he destroyed the people, the nation who, were, who represented the people of God, and he destroyed their temple, his own house. He destroyed it. That's how serious he was. You know, it kind of reminds me of the book of Hebrews. We just finished that study, and you've got those five very serious warnings in the book of Hebrews that if you don't rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ, if you don't fully rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ, then a certain fairy, fiery judgment awaits you. Is God going to wink at that at the judgment seat? Is he going to just, I mean, is he really serious about that? Yeah, he's really serious about that. It's time all of us get our house in order. Verse number 13. Verse number 13 says, as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God, that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. You know what? Most of the Israelites that were in the captivity didn't have a clue about what was going on. In their mind, who did they blame? They blamed the Babylonians. They never saw this as God's hand against them, even though the prophet spoke over and over again and and, and predicted that Babylon was going to come down and destroy them and destroy the temple. They never saw it as that. And now the 70 years are past. They're not reading their word. And, and most of them aren't praying. There's one guy praying. Maybe a few more. But this one guy, Daniel, what does the Bible tell us? The prayer, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Book of James. And, and Daniel was praying. And he certainly was a righteous man. And so, so uh, God's going to answer his prayer. And then verse number 14 it says, Therefore the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all his works which he does. Though we have not obeyed his voice. And then in verse 15 it says, And now Lord our God who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made yourself a name as it is this day. We have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to your righteousness, not ours, 
Don't give us what we deserve. I, I, I hear people, I wish God would give me what I deserve. No, you, you, you don't want to get what you deserve. You don't want that at all. I pray let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain because of our sins. And for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people are a reproach to all around us. People laugh at us. They mock us, he's saying. Look at all of us in captivity. Yeah, I've got a high position in the government, but look at our nation and look, look at where we're at. Now, therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplication. For, and for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. For whose sake? For the Lord's sake. Oh, my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolation in the city, which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds. Lord, we've done nothing to earn your mercy or your favor. Nothing. If you go to the Lord and you pray for the United States of America with the attitude of, Lord, they're messing this place up and, and, and uh, you need to fix it for me, that's the wrong attitude. No, it, we, you know, we're all in this together as a nation. And, and, and we, none of us have done anything to deserve uh, for things to be fixed. So we have to plead for the mercy of God. That's our only hope. Oh, hear, O oh Lord, forgive. Forgive, Lord. Oh, Lord, listen and act. And, and what did he say earlier? The Lord is forgiveness. We know that. Oh, Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for, our, for your city and your people who are called by your name. Act, Lord, please, for we're a reproach to the nations. Your temple is desolate. Lord, return the nation to our homeland. Not because we deserve it. Not because we're righteous. But because of your great mercy. Return us to the homeland. For your glory. Restore Israel. And restore your people. Rebuild the temple for your glory. Oh, that's part of God's plan. And Daniel's praying the right thing because one day the Messiah is going to walk into that rebuilt temple. One day in the past to Daniel, it was in the future. You know what's really cool about this? God answered Daniel's prayer in his own lifetime. The, in Daniel's lifetime, the return of the Israelites to Israel began. We know that because from Ezra chapter 1, we're told that uh, the resettlement of the Jews began in the first year of Cyrus, the king of Persia. And we know from Daniel 10.1 that Daniel lived, Daniel cites that he's in the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia. So we know that Daniel lived at least till the third year. And so the return had begun. And I, and I believe he lived several years after that. And what a thrill that had to be for him to see God answer that prayer. I bet you there weren't ten souls on the earth at that time that 
hadn't given up on Israel. You know, I listen to so many pastors today, and I have to say sometimes I'm one of them, that have given up on the United States of America. I don't think we should give up on the United States of America. I think we should pray for the United States of America. You know, there was a time when America was the shining light on the hill. You know, people will argue whether or not we are a Christian nation. I, I think there's good arguments on both sides of that, of that issue. But no matter where you land on the argument, we are or have been one nation under God. And our whole economic and social system and government was established on Judeo-Christian principles. I don't care what anybody says. That, I, that I'm sure of. And we were models to some degree of what a nation living under God should be like. And so we glorified God. For a long time in our history, we glorified God here in the United States. I, I believe, I believe just as, I believe in prophetic foreshort, and, and I believe that God works the same way in several cases in history. And I believe, I don't believe we're the new Israel by any means, and I'm not heading there at all. But I believe in some ways we're a type of Israel, where God sent, it's like the people Exodus made an exodus out of Europe and all of that persecution, and they came to the United States and established one nation under God. And we, for a time, we glorified God as a nation. I don't know how many you read about historians and, and foreigners who came to this land and they said the one thing that distinguished the United States from the rest of the nation was that there was a church on every street corner and people went to church and they loved the Lord. We were different. You know, we, we sent missionaries all over the world we helped our own poor in this country. We, we weren't perfect. There's a lot of things that this, in the history of this nation that are really bad. But we stood by our allies. We made sacrifices on the battlefields. We helped the poor of other countries. But in the last 30 or 40 years, it is making you weep when you think about what's happened to this country, how far we've fallen and no longer are we a light of righteousness to the world it's as if we're a beacon of darkness and we're sending out our sewage all over the world now we can blame Obama or we can blame Bush or we can blame the homosexuals but hey we need to just let God deal with them we need to look at ourselves because I believe as a church we're responsible to some degree to a great degree for the fall of the United States of America so my prayer is this Lord help this nation not because of our good deeds not because of our righteousness nobody will even claim that anymore not because we deserve it but because of your great mercy and your forgiveness help our nation help us for your glory restore this nation as one nation under God revive us Lord and raise up your remnant to lead this great nation
to better things. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for this great prayer of Daniel and what a model for us, Lord, in our prayers as we pray for the United States of America. Lord, as we pray for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, as we pray for the lost in this world. Lord, let the revival begin with us. Let us look deep within and see how we've sinned against you and how unrighteous we've been in your eyes. And Lord, your word says if we repent of that sin and we humble ourselves and call upon your name that you will heal our land. We just ask for that healing, Lord. We ask for that healing. I ask for it in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.